I am so excited to have my next guest on the show. Mark Fetzer is on the CJ Evolution podcast. He is a law enforcement professional of many years serving in the great state of New Mexico. He is also part of Guardian Initiatives. This organization is doing so much for our brave men and women who serve. He is also, him and his team of law enforcement and first responders are doing something incredible, and it has to do with a boat in the ocean. Stay tuned for Mark Fetzer next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the CJ Evolution Podcast. Patrick here, host and creator of this top rank show. Top rank because of you, the listener and supporter. Thank you so much for what you do, and thank you for listening. If you love the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us that five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Big shout-out to all the brave men and women working in the criminal justice field. That means you. Thank you for what you do. And these uncertain times, I know it is depressing. You feel like you have no support out there. Trust me, folks, you have much support. The vast majority of people out there support and love you. Remember, you are honored, cherished, and above all, you are loved. Keep up the fantastic work, and please be safe. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. They should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help. It has gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. Such a great and important message. If you or somebody you know needs help, please take that step forward. Reach out to the Shatterproof team at 844-650-1399. That's 844-650-1399. Or reach out to me directly at 303-960-9819. On to the show with Mark Fetzer. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So I'm excited. So excited. If I could talk to have my next guest on, Mark Fetzer. He's law enforcement, and he's also part of Guardian Initiatives. And he's going to tell you the amazing event that he and his crew are going to do pretty soon. Welcome, Mark. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here, brother. Uh, I know you hail originally from Ohio. Now you're in New Mexico, and you've been a cop for a long time. And I asked Leo's the same question I'm going to ask you, brother. Why'd you get into law enforcement? So I'm actually uh, Ohio is a mid stop for me. Oh, I am okay. uh, I am <laughs> born and raised in uh, Middletown, Rhode Island, and um, I'm third generation police officer. That, there's the easiest answer. Yeah, my my grandfather was a police officer in Fall River. Um, 
my dad became a police officer. He's in Jamestown, Rhode Island. And um, he always said, I, I know you're going to be a cop. I want you to be a doctor. I know you're going to be a cop, though. And uh, he, he was he was correct. So um, I ended up moving to Ohio when I was uh, Ohio, northern Kentucky area when I was about 18, 19 years old and then started my career in Mason Police Department um, just outside Cincinnati. I was there for two and a half years and I moved out west to a uh, great state of New Mexico and have been here for 17 and a half years now. Oh, thank you for your service, brother. And what, what brought you to New Mexico? Was it just relatives so, or, or family? No, or? no, nobody's ever. My, again, my family's yeah, back you know, east, Kentucky yeah. and Rhode Island area. Yeah. Um, so at the time I was doing a lot of competitive shooting and okay. I, it's funny, I always said I would never live in New Mexico or Arizona. I had driven through to visit a friend of mine one time. I'm like, it is too hot. I've never lived there. And in the end, when I started <laughs> researching different agencies to <laughs> decide where I wanted to live and work, um, I was looking at New Mexico and Arizona because a better climate for shooting year round. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. New did a lot of research. Beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is. Gorgeous. New Mexico. We're right on the border of Colorado. I yeah. researched a lot of agencies, found uh, where I'm at now, the San Juan County Sheriff's Office. We're up in the four corners and uh, it was a great, great move. So. so you still, you get snow up there, right? In four corners. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Four corners, familiar with the area. Yep. Um, and four corners for the listener, you can, the reason why they call it four corners is you can have each limb and four different states at the same time, right? Right. New Mexico, <laughs> Utah, Arizona, Colorado, In Colorado. Well, cool, brother. Now I want to get your take on what is happening now in law enforcement. The latest statistic I looked at 39% of first responders. And when I say first responders, that includes obviously law enforcement, fire, EMS, you know, dispatchers, 39% uh, of first responders suffer for uh, from addiction, mental health issues, or both. Mm-hmm. Do you see this trend? And that's the numbers we know about, brother. I mean, we don't even know sure. the numbers that don't even, the people don't even reach out. Do you, do you think this trend is going to continue? You know, uh, I think we, we, we can see the trend, um, you know, in, in any agency. Not to say you could look at any agency and 39% of the agency is, yeah. is having a problem. No, but yeah. but I, I think we, you know, we, we can see it. And while there's a lot of things happening to, you know, with law enforcement, the sentiment around law enforcement that that's not helping, I do have hope. I do have hope that the amount of, of talk we're seeing, the amount of resources out there now, the resiliency, the it's okay to not be well, it's okay to get help, you know, the res- again, the resources, I think I just said that, um, that are out there. Plus, I think a generation coming into law enforcement that I have a lot of hope for that is more willing to stand up and say, I need help, this is bothering me, you know, yeah. so um, I think it'll always plague us. I think first responders, law enforcement in particular, um, you know, we are a, uh, we, we just have this natural kind of personality that it's going to, we're going to, it's not as conducive for us to go get help, right? It's not, yeah. we're not, we're not as quick to say, Hey, I need help just because of that, you know, type a, I, I'm the person you call when you need help. I don't need help. All those, those you know, things we've heard many times, um, that will always plague us and yeah. will always be our, you know, our Achilles, if you will, when yeah. reaching out to get help. Yeah. And I agree with you, Mark. I I think the next generation 
although everybody makes fun of them. Uh, you know, we were there at one point in our lives, but I, I, I think they're on, you know, overall, they seem to be more compassionate, empathetic, uh, you know, be more willing to express their feelings. Uh, and that can be a good thing. Uh, whereas when you and I entered, you know, I mean, it was a whole different story. Like you said, we didn't, we didn't say anything to anybody. At least I didn't can't speak for anybody else. Yeah. yeah no, I would just shut my mouth. You go to a critical incident, you handle it, and then you're back on the street. So right. well, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I hope and pray that the next generation could, could make it better, but I think it's geographical too. I think some organizations are a lot better uh, than, mm-hmm. you know, in dealing and helping their, their men and women than others. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, you know, there may be just organizations too that implement and integrate family more within, you know, within the, uh, the agency, or I know at our, you know, our agency, we've had things in the past, you know, we've had our spouses group, we try to do stuff as a, you know, a bigger family, you know, we've done pit, we do a picnic every year, we do, um, you know, camping trips, and a lot of us, you know, get along, you know, a lot of people always get along, but, you know, are, are tight, we, we hang out outside of work at times, which is good and bad, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. being together all the time, but um, so I think just, yeah, the culture, the a- individual agency, and how they're set up can, can play a lot to that yeah. as well. And I, you brought up, a, you brought up something that made me think, you know, I always tell people, and this is not a knock on law enforcement, but the best thing that ever happened to me, um, it was get friends outside of law enforcement. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think that's, I think it's very important. And again, it's not a dig on the brave men and women who serve. It's just that you see different perspectives. I, I remember when I was a young cop and I lived and breathed police work, which is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was kind of brought up in an environment. Well, if you don't have a star or a badge, you're one of them. And I don't you trust you. <laughs> yeah. I don't trust you. And then it took, you know, people in my life to say, you got to open up. And when I opened up, I started to realize that majority of people out there are good people. We just deal with a, a small percentage of them, repeat customers, whatever you want to call them. It kind of That's jades true. our view. And I think that plays into some mental health problems with, with first responders. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and I, I've said that for years. I, I first recognized that in myself. So I was the same way. I was ate up with the job when I first, you know, when I first got in um, for, you know, quite a few years. And, and I recognized that when I started going to college, I started going to college as, you know, as an adult, uh, you know, and, and I started meeting people and, and, uh, you know, a lot of it was as the teachers, I had more, you know, connection with the teachers being older and, and then, you know, it's a lot of the young students I was in with, but I started making these friends outside law enforcement. That's, I realized at that point how helpful that was to me because what happens, you know, even a good friend of mine, we would, we great fishing here in Northwest New Mexico, fly fishing trophy waters, and we'd go out fishing together. And what did we do? We would end up talking about work. So now <laughs> these same people, that small percentage of the population um, that unfortunately gets, you know, all of society gets tagged as, you know, uh, that small percentage for cops yeah. um, now was now taking up our time off duty. We couldn't, we couldn't escape it. We couldn't escape it. And then I, you know, I, I, if I'm, if I'm hanging around you and, and you're hanging around me and we're talking all this stuff and we're thinking the same and we're both as messed up, we don't see ourselves as messed up. We yeah. don't, you it's know, everybody we else. Don't yeah. Everybody yeah. else is messed up. We're the so, cure. That's right. I, I tell all my new guys coming in, have friends, have a life outside of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. That is so important. And be able to, you're not going to, you, know, you can't do it hundred percent, but as much as you can, leave it outside of your life when you can, you know, when you, 
when you're driving down the road, your wife doesn't care that that's a, you know, some expired plate in front of you or some violation, <laughs> like just let it go and, and be in the moment with your spouse, your family, your friends. Um, because that is, it's all about balance, right? It's all yeah. about balance. And if we're, if we're, if we don't have that balance and we're just living that, you know, first responder life nonstop, um, it, we get out of balance and we have problems. Yeah. I mean, and I was, I was like that for, for years mm-hmm. and it took me a while to get out of it. So what would, what would you tell somebody, Mark? I mean, you, you're a seasoned officer, you're a supervisor, you've been out there for a long time serving and protecting your community. Uh, it seems like you have that balance that you're talking about. What, what advice would you give the listener out there who struggles with that, that lives and breathes it, constantly looking at the phone, work emails, you know, it's just consuming them. Cause I was one of those people. I think it, it takes conscious effort. You know, it, it would be a, um, it's going to take conscious effort to be able to set it down, put it, you know, set it aside. Um, but you got to do it. I mean, really, if, if, if you, if you want to, have long-term success. If, you know, the job can be very rewarding. Um, and, you know, here approaching the end, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Um, but I'm not sure I could have survived it if I hadn't have found that balance. And so it's going to be hard. Um, listen to your spouse. They probably are your, your family or your friends. They, you know, probably see it a little bit more clear than you do at times and just be willing to set it aside. You know, I, I, I've, as I've gotten further in my career and I've watched people retire, maybe you felt the same thing with retiring. That machine keeps moving. I was going to say, you know, we, we <laughs> world we, goes on without you folks. It does. It does. And, and, and the, and, and not to say that in a way of like, you're, you're insignificant. Yeah, what yeah. You did doesn't matter, but the, the, the machine keeps moving. It's not going to stop. You know, we have this, this, this nice feeling like when I retire, they're going to, they're going to really feel it. Well, probably not. They're going to be like, why was he doing it like this? All right, who do we promote now? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And also, if you notice, I mean, the same guys, my guys are out there now arresting. We, the crew I came up with in patrol, we arrested them, you know? And so it's like, you got to recognize that. And there's, there's a lot of good to be done out there, but you've got to take a break. You've got to take care of yourself. Yeah, physically, mentally, it will take a toll on you relationship wise. And I learned the, the hard way um, and we're, we're, most of us are living longer and there is a, a life after law enforcement. I, I always said I didn't want to be, again, not a dig on law enforcement. I, I didn't want to be one of those guys on the front porch telling war stories uh, to another retired cop. And those they have their place. But, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to do more. Right. You know, and. It always kind of frustrates me a little bit when, when cops kind of think that they're pigeonholed into, you know, being a security guard. And there's nothing wrong with security guards. I'm just saying mm-hmm. they, they get themselves pigeonholed into thinking I can't do anything else. Right. You know, and there's so much more that you can do because of the skill sets and the leadership uh, ability that you've developed over the years. So, you know, people kind of have to think about that too, because, People retire and, you know, they're still young, most of us, and they go on and do other things, but you can't think that way. Right. And I I believe by forcing yourself into, you know, a world outside of law enforcement on your time off or, you know, whatever, as a police officer, having friends outside the job, having activities that I, you know, uh, I don't have to carry a gun with me. I don't have to carry a gun when I go skiing, you know, I mean, the thought crosses my mind. You never know. Something can jump out of the woods. 
That's right. Terrorist Um, or something. (laughs) Got to have your AR or something strapped. Exactly. But I think that helps you develop a life outside of law enforcement Mm -hmm. too, for when you retire, you know, how many people, and we see it with the, you know, the, the wellness and suicide issues with first runners continue into retirement. And I think oftentimes when that is your identity, when that is, you know, and, and you leave and maybe you get that feeling like, Hey, I don't have the key to the door anymore. I don't have a, a, you know, look at my phone to see what's going on down the road. I can't just text somebody and say, Hey, what's this, you know, what's going on. Um, you don't have that ability anymore. So even more important to have that life outside law enforcement and have cultivated that before you get to that retirement stage. Yeah. Um, I, I know I went through that. I didn't think I was going to go through that, but I, I went through an identity crisis for a, a while and I didn't even realize it until I went into some dark spaces, but part of it was, who am I? Right. You know, because I spent you know over two decades in, in law enforcement and I didn't realize that it in, uh, affected me the way it did until I really kind of dug deep and, and said, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not in law enforcement anymore. Right. I'm not in the know. Exactly. Like you said, picking up my phone saying, what's going on? People are like, now, if I did that, they'd be like, what, why, why do you need to know? <laughs> and it's, and with the retention issues law enforcement is having, it doesn't take but a year or two to walk into your agency or see somebody work in the street in the same uniform you did for 20 years. And yeah. You don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. Now, so. what are, I mean, you're in law enforcement, Mark. Um, you know, you've been doing it a long time. And what do you th- see as some, and this is probably a big question, mm-hmm. um, but what do, what do you see some of the future challenges uh, of law enforcement as we, as we go forward? What, what do you think some of those challenges are going to be? I think we're experiencing it now with retention issues, yeah. um, with recruiting. I mean, I think I hear about agencies all over the country. Yeah. Recruiting numbers are not where they, they were. Um, I think there's a challenge of a, um, you know, a shift and, and, and there's always a change, right? And I, I thought somebody once told me two things cop hate, cops hate or the way things are and change. Um, and it's, you know, it's true, but there's always change isn't bad. Change doesn't have to be bad. You know, reform, we heard all this stuff on law enforcement reform. It doesn't have to be bad. It's bad if we're stuck in our ways and have our heels dug in, but we are, you know, the, um, I think that's right. Once you you're set in a way, you've got to get through some change and understand, Hey, how is this good? How, you know, so there is that change. I think that just naturally happens, yeah. but that's not always happening with law enforcement. And you, you can know, go with it or go kicking and screaming. Right. And I think some of the more progressive agencies we've seen are more on the front edge of it. Hey, let's get out there before we're, you know, forced to do this. And Mm -hmm. um, so I think definitely, you know, that that continual challenge of change, I think recruitment, retention right now are big. Um, You know, the mental the mental health side of dealing Mm -hmm. with mental health on the street, you know, with with people we run into. And having to put on that hat, I don't know why, but it does seem more prevalent now. Um, you know, the amount of um, the amount of people our, our guys are dealing with and trying to figure out what to do. You know, what do we what do we do here? And so it does seem more prevalent. And, you know, communities are going to have to come up with resources. Uh, you know, police, as you know, we uh, we get called up to do a lot of things nobody else wants to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So that definitely. And we can't do it alone. Mark, you mentioned communities. You know, we're one of the stakeholders at that table, but other members, community members, leaders have to be at that table too, because I think a lot of time, and this contributes to 
a lot of the problems that first responders deal with is, you know, they, they're, everybody shovels stuff to the first responders and wants the cops to, to handle everything when in reality there's different stakeholders right uh, at that table and they should be at that table because we can't do it alone. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I remember, you know, I mean, who would have thought that, you know, when you and I got in that we would be administering Narcan and that's not a bad thing. Let me preface, uh, you know, to people who are overdosing. Right. Now it's like an everyday occurrence. Almost. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Now let's shift a little gears. I want to talk about guardian initiatives. Tell us about that. Yeah. So guardian initiatives is a nonprofit um, that myself and one of my lieutenants uh, started here in uh, Farmington, New Mexico area. And we set it up with a broad scope of, you know, nonprofit to be able to help people or places that have been negatively affected by tragic events, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a a big, we don't want to be tied into one thing, but we kind of started with our, 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 our foundational piece, both being in law enforcement was first responder mental wellness. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, when we, when we decided, Hey, let's work on first responder mental wellness and see what kind of impact we can make. We didn't even have an idea we knew it was a problem. Yeah. We didn't understand. We just saw the surface. We didn't understand, you know, how deep this was. And I'll get into that in a minute of a personal story that was just like hit me in the, the face one day, like, duh. Um, but so we, we started with a goal of doing three things, and that is bringing awareness of the issue uh, that there are, you know, with first responders. And while we're law enforcement, like you said before, all we're all working for all first responders, mm-hmm. police, fire, EMS, dispatch, even, you know, our corrections yeah. um, out there. Um, so awareness that the issue exists, awareness that, you know, hey, you can suffer. And whether that's a, to families, individuals, the pu- general public to understand that. Then to bring in training, to facilitate training for first responders and their families. Hey, what to look for? How do I get through this job well? Like we mentioned before, it's a satisfying career. You just got to get through it. Mm-hmm. And there's there's ways to do that and do it safely and, and healthy. Um, training for agencies. We want to be able to train agencies. And then the other thing we learned along the way, when, when Jared and I first started this, we thought money for treatment was going to be a big, big need. And we realize it's not always the case. You know, mm-hmm. many first responders have good insurance, right? Through our, you know, organizations, the cities or counties or state that we work in. There are a lot of volunteers, you know, at our sheriff's office, we have a whole reserve crew, you know, reserve deputies. Our fire department in San Juan County is 250 volunteer firefighters. So there are those concerns of, of cost for treatment. Sure. But one of the things we realized it's not as much cost as, as having access to what we learned they call culturally competent clinicians, clinicians who can Absolutely. understand the first responder culture and treat you well. And, and being in an isolated area, we definitely recognize that that was an issue. So awareness, training for first responders, agencies and clinicians, and also being able to help with treatment if that's a problem. You know, because if we we just don't think that's a, a reason to not get treatment. If, if I was worried that I couldn't pay my bills because I'm going off to treatment, hey, let us step in and help. Yeah. The fourth leg we realized during this whole thing that we kind of added was resource sharing. What we learned is there's so many organizations and people out there willing and ready to help that have set stuff up like we have that are willing and ready to help. It's just knowing that they exist 
um, or, you know, treatment facilities, knowing that they exist and knowing where to go. And so our, our four prongs now, awareness, training, treatment, and resources is our whole goal um, for first responders. And we are working for our kind of local four corners area, anywhere in our four corners that we talk, you know, our awareness campaign, which um, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but our awareness campaign spreads to whoever we speak with. And we, we talk to people all over the, you know, the country. I just had a great conversation a couple weeks ago with a, a national uh, firefighters chaplain group. You know, so we got to speak to people all over the country about what we're doing there. Yeah. So Amazing. that's, that's pretty neat. Amazing brother. I wish there were more people uh, like you and first responders with guardian initiatives because, you know, it, it's an amazing organization doing amazing things for our brave men and women who serve. One of the things that's imminent at all is amazing what you just said, but your piece on, you know, licensed clinicians who get the first responder who understand the needs and the wants of the first responder community, in my opinion, is huge. One of the things yes. I, love about Shatterproof, I went down there, you know, um, you know, 80%, 85% of the clinicians down there have been there. They've done it. They, they are either veteran or first responder mm -hmm. uh, community. So they understand. And I remember in my treatment journey, I remember I just didn't want to go to a regular therapist. And again, that's not a dig on a regular therapist or a clinician. They just don't understand right. the needs of you know, the first responder, I spend more time explaining what I just said to them in police jargon. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're like, Oh, my God, well, that's every day. Right. So, you know, clinicians is huge. You it know, pe people that understand about first responders. So thank you, sir, for your amazing work. And now what's this thing about something involving the Atlantic Ocean? And <laughs> you're going to do like some sort of uh, boat boat thing? Crossing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, <laughs> tell the audience about that, brother. Yeah. So as part of our awareness campaign, we decided to do something big, Okay, big challenge, but big, big cause. So in December of this year, myself, Jared, uh, who started the nonprofit with me and one other guy, Mike, who's a retired sergeant with us, the three of us are loading up into a, at a 28 foot long by five and a half foot wide boat, especially designed for going across the ocean. And we are going to row 3000 miles from the Canary Islands to Antigua across the Atlantic. So all to raise awareness for first responder mental wellness. And suicide prevention. That is amazing. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think I shouldn't use the term crazy. <laughs> I, I told you my fear uh, about that when I, when, before we started, and I'll tell it to the audience. I have a fear of like water I can't see through, but I admire that. So the next question I have, brother, and I heard this before, but for the listener, how do you train for something like that? It's um, it's a challenge, especially being in New Mexico, right? Yeah, there's not a uh, lot know, of water there. No, not a lot of water. We do have our boat here, so we train. <laughs> of course, there's the you know physical training yeah. in terms of you know we're we're rowing. Each of us will basically be rowing about twelve to sixteen hours a day, not every day for 45 days or so. Um, so there's a physical part to prevent injury, you know, yeah. so weights, um, the, the, you know, cardio portion of it, just to stay in good shape, flexibility, um, strength training. Um, but this is going to be far more of a mental yeah. challenge than it will be a physical challenge. There's definitely the physical part of there, you know, keep from getting injured. Yeah. Um, but the mental and, you know, the mental is a lot harder to train for. 
it is, I think what helps with the mental is how one knowing the cause it's, it's not, we're not just going out this, you know, to just go do fun and satisfy an adrenaline rush, but knowing the cause, yeah, knowing the, cause. The, pe- the people that are behind us, the people that have backed us um, and what we've been able to do so far. It's also that mental part is, you know, not taking shortcuts when nobody's looking, when we can, you know, it's easy when you're out, you know, on the rowing machine to cut yeah, it short three piece, three people. minutes, yeah. you know, three yeah. Pull, pull each other's weight. That's right. So, you know, in preparation for it though, doing everything we need to in preparation, not taking those wow. shortcuts. And so there's, there's a lot to it. And, um, we, uh, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about how, and we never try to compare it as a one-to-one, but in, in, in explaining it to some people of, you know, I mean, imagine we're going to wake up every day, every day that sun's going to come up and we're going to look out, we're going to see the same thing, just bare ocean. We don't see other boats. You know, there's, this is a race. There's 45 teams all racing for a cause, but you don't see them. Yeah. And imagine with a, having some type of wellness issue and waking up every day with no hope, yeah. you know, but through teamwork, through perseverance, through, you know, uh, pushing yourself, uh, maybe, uh, you know, outside your comfort zone, doing things you wouldn't normally do at some day, at some point you see hope, you see, we're going to see land, yeah. you know? And you will. And so I, I, again, we never try to make that a one-to-one because it's not, but just in trying to compare it for, you know, for certain people to help them understand. And wow. it's, it's been a great awareness tool. Uh, especially in New Mexico, we drive our boat around here doing fundraising or we go to events and the, the looks people get and they come up, they say, what is this for? Tell them row in the ocean. Same response. That's crazy. Why are you going to do that? And that just sort of leaves it wide open to talk about first responder mental wellness. Wow. That's amazing. And so, I mean, then I'm sure you obviously know the answer. I mean, how far are you away from hell? Like if you're out there, you mentioned it, you know, um, wellness and take care of each other. But what happens if you have like an injury or something? I mean, how, how far is, I guess it depends on where you're at in the ocean. Sure. You know, how far is help? Coast Guard will be, you know, or no, no Coast Guard, not no that Coast far. Guard. Yeah, that's true. No Coast Guard. It's um, self-sufficient in terms, you know, certain medical, um, you know, we have training and equipment with us. Yeah. Uh, and out, outside of that, in the maritime world, it's up to other boats that are in the area yeah. to help you, wow. you know, and so we've got training on that and we are in constant communication with the race sure. organizers. So they know where you're at and everything. And Yes. Cool. Yes. And how much so, beer are you going to bring, dude? <laughs> None. None. <laughs> well, Mark, I mean, if people want to reach out to you, brother, and they want to donate because people can donate to this cause, yes, an amazing yes, cause, and people want to reach out to you, learn more about you and Guardian Initiatives and what you're doing, brother, how can they do that? So I think the easiest way to get in touch with us is our website, which is uh, row3000.com. So just row3000.com, row3000.com. And, when- um, and on there, there's links to donate. There's more about our cause. There's resources on there. There's some videos. There's about us. Um, and there's a, uh, the links to our social media. You can go on social media or on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can follow us on there as well. Yeah. Amazing, sir. Amazing. And when does it kick off? When are you doing it? It's December 12th. December 12th. And how long is it again? Yeah. Uh, we anticipate about 45 days. 45 days, brother. 45 days to see. We'll land in Florida. Or we'll land in Florida. We'll land in Antigua. Antigua. I've been there. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah. area. Be my first time there. 
Well, Mark Fetzer, thank you so much, brother, for your service to this great country, your community, what you're doing now with Guardian Initiatives, well, well needed uh, in this uh, time of uh, law enforcement. Much luck to you, sir, in the future. Thank if we can you. do anything for you, and I'm going to see you sometime yes, in May. Uh, I'll be sir. down in New Mexico, so I'm excited to see that, sir, or see you and learn more. Thank you, yeah, sir. Definitely. Well, thank you. Thank All you, right. Patrick, for doing this. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Take care. Be safe. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.